Okay. So to continue where we left off. So the idea is, is that with a korban, the idea is to come as close to God as you possibly can. And, and if you're not doing it right, then you are basically, you're, you're messing it up. So let's, let's look at the psukim in, in Sefer Yeshayahu. Okay, we're going to look at the psukim. Um, requires my turning the chumash right side up. Um, okay, so, Chazon Yeshayahu ben Amotz, Asher Chaza el Yehuda, Bimei Uzia Yotam Achaz Chizkiyahu Malchei Yehuda. Okay, what I want to remind people is that this was a time of unprecedented um, geopolitical success, right? The, the other nations were in the middle of fighting with Ashur, and as a result, they were, were disengaged from Israel. In other words, Yeravim and Yoash, who was in the north, was able to extend the borders all the way almost to the point of, of Shlomo Melech, and Uziah, who was the king in the south, was able to fortify, and he built fortification towers, and he invested in agriculture, and this is a time of, of real wealth and success and prosperity. The other thing is, is that, that certainly in the south, they thought they were doing this religious thing right. In other words, Uziah was a from king. He was a very from king. This was a theocratic rule. If anything, as we talked about last week, his going into the Kodesh HaKadoshim to bring the Ketoret was, like Nadav and Avihu, a desire to serve God more. But what's important to understand, and we see this both with, with Nadav and Avihu, and we see this with Korach, is that when you want to serve God you have to serve God the way God says to serve God, right? With Nadav and Avihu, the story which is in, in um, Parshat Shmini, the end of Parshat Shmini and Sefer Vayikra, the, it, the fire that they bring is referred to as an Eish Zara. In other words, it is still an Eish, but it is a foreign Eish. In other words, their desire, their Hitlahavut, their passion, all of that, is is still there, but they're doing it wrong. And as a result of their doing it wrong, they get burned. There's a big machloket about what Nadav and Avihu did that was wrong, whether it, that way they were drunk, whatever it was, but the it wasn't in their intent. Their intent was correct. Their actions were wrong. What's different about Korach is that with Korach, his intent according to most of the Mepharshim, was wrong. Datan and Aviram, we know their intent was wrong because we know that from Moshe's reaction. But what we're seeing here is that what you need in order for something to be acceptable to HaKadosh Baruch Hu is for both the intent to be right and the action is to be right. If the action is right without the intent, then the action becomes meaningless. If the intent is correct without the proper action, then the action is meaningless. And you need both. So let's look in Sefer Yeshayahu and see what's actually going on. Right? We see Banim Banim Adonai. Whoops, drop the phone. Hold on. Gotta do the phone again. Okay. We're still recording. Sorry about that, ladies. 
Okay, continuing the recording here. Um, Banim gidalti viramamti vehem pishubi. I'm apologizing in advance for poor reading, okay? Um, so I raise these children. We've talked about many times that this is the, the metaphor of the, of the chumash, right? When, when Yeshayahu is referring to banim here, he's, he's going back to the original metaphor, right? Hosea, when he used the metaphor of, of the wife, that is a is a later metaphor. That is a metaphor from Shira Shirim. Right? That that metaphor is something that Shlomo HaMelech introduced. But the metaphor that's used by the Torah is the metaphor of a father and a child. We we know, you know, literally from, from the second Pasuk here that Yeshayahu is hearkening back to the Torah because he uses that language of ha'azinu and shim'u, right? In Pasuk Bet, shim'u shamayim v'ha'azini aretz. He's using the exact lashon that Moshe Rabbeinu uses. Um, and again, in in, safe, in parashat ha'azinu, which, which we're not going to go into line by line because it would just take way too much time, but I, I encourage all of you to go and read it through what what we have in Ha'azinu are two fundamental messages, which are opposite, but they are intertwined. That we have this message of heaven and earth. We have this message that on one hand, we are a divine people. We are children of God. We have souls. We are God-like. But on the other hand, we are also very human. We have we are also very mortal, right? We have the Yetzer Tov and the Yetzer Hara. We have the Eitzah Da'at and we have the Nachash. It keeps going back to the same thing, that what Parashat HaAzinu says is that Hashem created everything. Hashem is all-powerful. Hashem chose us to be his people. And with that appointment comes the responsibility. And what cannot happen, which sadly does happen, is that we cannot become arrogant. Because once we become arrogant, and once we start doing things the way we want to do them, then Hashem gets angry at us, right? That once we get fat, once we literally, metaphorically, physically, whatever it is, once we get filled up with luxury, with success, with, with power, we then kick God away, and then God will remind us of his power, we will get punished, the world will get punished, or the world will somehow have God's power manifested to them. And then we will, the good news is, is that we will learn from this, we will do teshuva, and Hashem will take us back. That's the message of Parashat Ha'azinu. And when Yeshayahu begins here with this Ha'azinu and Shim'u, even though he flips Moshe's words around and there are mafarshim that discuss why he flips them around, and I don't want to get into that right now, he's saying, peoples, remember Moshe? 
Remember what Moshe told us? Remember the sheer that Moshe sang to us? This was something that people knew by heart because it was a shira. Remember what Moshe said, that, that we need body and soul. We need heaven and earth, and we need to use our bodies to do what Hashem wants us to do. And what are you doing it instead? Banim gidalti v'romamti v'heim pashubi. And they, they rebelled against me. We see the same thing in Hosea, right? In the language of, of rather than father and son, we see that in Hosea Perig Bet. I gave you the, the, the source. You can go back and look at it, right? That, that this woman that Hashem has given her everything, what is she doing? She is running after her body. She is running after the things that were, you know, that taste good, that feel good. Right? And Hashem says, who gave you all of this stuff? Who gave you these jewels? Who gave you this wine? Who gave you these clothes? I gave them to you. And just like I gave them to you, I can strip them from you. And Yeshayahu is saying the same thing, but rather than talking about the, the problems of the North, which were predominantly problems of Avodah Zarah, and and in addition to the moral issues, what Yeshayahu was addressing in the South was not Avodah Zarah per se, but was Avodat Hashem that was perverted by a lack of morality. And what Yeshayahu was saying, which is different than what both than what Hosea is saying, is that you cannot have Avodat Hashem together with the absence of Ben Adam Lechaberu. I'm going to say that again. In the north, there were two issues. Issue number one was Avodah Zarah, specifically Avodah Haba'al. Problem number two was the lack of morality. We see that from Amos Perikbet. If you want to look back in Amos Perikbet, where he says that you know you 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 sold justice for a shoe. Right? We, we talked about that and, you know, how you basically are lying in wait and how you can oppress the poor. And we talked about the widening gap between rich and poor and how the rich got richer off of the backs of the poor and people didn't care about the poor and the farmers were, were basically being oppressed so that the rich in the cities could have their ivory and gold beds and their debauched parties and, and all of that, right? So Hosea and Amos are kind of two parts of, of a whole. What's going on in the South is that because they have the Beit HaMikdash and they're going to the Beit HaMikdash, they think everything's cool. I mean, this, this problem gets more and more magnified in Sefer Yirmiyahu, but what Yeshayahu focuses on, and, and this is what's, what's kind of new, and this is certainly new in theology, but is, is also new in, in the message, is that just like you can't have Avodah Zarah and Avodat Hashem together, you can't have Avodat Hashem and, and a desecration of Ben Adam L'chaveiro together. So let's, you know, let's see what, what gets said here. And it's, it go down into Pasuk, um, I think it's Pasuk Tet, right? 
where where he says straight out he refers to them um hang on he refers to them right as as Sodom and Amorah he, he in a way it's like he, he turns this on its head this language of right shim'u shamayim vehazini aretz in pasuk tet he's like shim'u vehazini when he's talking to Sodom and Amorah and he's like uh, hi, I'm still talking to the same people. You're still the children of God. You're still the people that Moshe Rabbeinu spoke to. But but look at who you are now. You're Sodom and Amorah. You are this the the absolute paragon of of total immorality, total cruelty to one another, to the extent that Hashem has to literally wipe you out Himself. He's not going to leave the job to another nation. He's not going to leave the job to Mitzrayim or to Ashur or to Babel. Sodom and Amorah were literally wiped out by an act of God. You can't, you can't argue that fact. And as a matter of fact, it seems that they are the only thing except for the Mabul that, you know, it, that that's what happens. That we're going back to a moment in time when Hashem is saying that you are so bad that I'm going to have to take care of you myself. On the other hand, Hashem is saying, why do I have to take care of you myself? Because you're my children. Again, it's this two sides of the same coin. It's the two sides of this love and, and anger. Okay, What Yeshayahu harnesses some of the same anger that Amos has, but what, what's different about Yeshayahu is that, first of all, it's much longer and therefore much more fleshed out. But what you hear in Yeshayahu is you still hear this deep, passionate love. It's, it's much more the tone of Hosea. There's, you don't have the same sadness that you have in Yirmiyahu. You don't have the same anger that you have in Amos. You have that, that parental love of a parent for a child and the child is straying and the child is doing bad things and the parent is desperate and the parent is furious, but the parent still loves the child. So, so this is what he's saying, right, in, in, the, in the ensuing psukim, starting in Pasuk Yud. Shim'u divrei Hashem kitzinei Sedom ha'azinu torat elokeinu am amorat. Can we stop for a second and think about the, the dripping irony of those words, right? Shim'u davar Hashem kitzinei Sedom. Right? Yeshayahu, probably more than any other prophet, is the master of language, right? Shim'u devar Hashem kitzinei, you're expecting, right? Kitzinei Yisrael. Instead, you have kitzinei Sedom, right? And then the next phrase also, right? Instead of ha'azinu Torah elokeinu, right? Our Torah, the Torah of our God, am, and you're expecting the word am Hashem. Am Adonai, Am Elohim, Am something, and instead it's Am Amora, right? So I think at this moment he has their attention because they're like, what? Wait, hold it, hold it, wait, Yeshayahu, stop. But he doesn't stop. And he goes on and he says as follows. 
Um, Divrei Elokeinu Amamara. Lama li rov zivchechem yomar Hashem. Right? Why do I need all of your karbanot? Savati olot elim vechelev miriim vidam parim ukvasot vkvasim vatudim lo chafatsti. I am sick. I am. I'm. I'm satiated. I don't want. I don't want your best of the best. I just don't want it. I don't want your rams. I don't want your fat animals. I don't want the fat of the animals. I don't want your your lambs. I don't want anything. Lo chafatsti. I didn't. And and chafatsti is it actually written in the past tense, right? It's like not only do I not want them now, it's Hashem is saying I never wanted them. Why? Ki tavo lirot panai mi bikesh zot. When the fact that you come to seek my face, who asked for this, right? Me yet me um the et me I'm sorry me bikesh zot me etchem the gam chatzerai lo tosifu tavo lo tosifu havimin chatzav don't don't continue to bring to my my courtyard a a false. Gift. Right? It goes back to to Cain with this idea of the mincha, ketoret to evahili, ketoret, which is supposed to be the most most special, most expensive, most pure, most ephemeral of all of the korbanot, the one that was offered in the in the kodesh and in the kodesh hakadoshim, the one that was that was made of of the most um, ephemeral kind of of material, which are are leaves. Not to mention the most expensive, because these spices had to be imported from Yemen and from Arabia and from China. These were not things that were native to Eretz Yisrael. So, and they're they're false, right? Lo tisa etshem Hashem shav. We hear again; they are going to hear these these allusions back and forth, right? Um, so he and he goes and he goes on. He's like, I can't, I can't. I can't handle your your carbonot. I can't handle them. I don't want to handle them. I never wanted to handle them. I never wanted it to begin with. So what we get to now in the in the last few minutes here, um, what we get to now is the machloket of the Rambam, the Ramban, and the Abarbanel. And I'm going to go through that more in depth next week because I don't want to shortchange it. But I'm going to kind of just in the last two minutes here, I'm going to summarize. According to the Rambam, karbanot were a b'diavad. Karbanot were because we as humans needed them because that is what we were used to. That is what people did to serve. So Hashem gave us karbanot, gave us actually all of the chagim, everything that we do that is physical, to vector our service to him. So once we are no longer serving him, which is what the Rambam defines as kavanari shona, the, the rest is useless. The Ramban strongly disagrees. And he's like, no, there is no kavanari shona and kavanah shnia. Hashem gave us a mitzvah. That mitzvah in and of itself is kavanari shona. But if we are doing the mitzvah by rote, 
and we don't have the kavanah of the mitzvah, then the mitzvah becomes its opposite. It becomes a toeva. That's the Ramban's in, in a sentence. And what the Abarbanel says, which is, is a little bit different than, than both of them, is he agrees more with the Rambam. And he's like, and, and he actually almost takes it a step further. And he seems to imply, and we're going to look at this next week, because um, this is related actually to Pesach, he seems to imply that, that we really don't even need korbanot. We don't need them and we shouldn't have them, which is, is completely and totally different. And it's only because of Chaita Egel that Hashem gave them to us. In other words, not only are they not a lechatchila, not only are they not a, not a stopgap measure, they're a complete b'diavad. So according to the Barbanel, these psukim actually make the most sense. It's like, I never wanted them. I didn't want them in the beginning. That this was your idea. And the only reason I gave them to you was because of Chaita Egel. According to Rambam and Ramban, the ideas of I didn't want them is not that I don't want them, but I don't want them the way you do it. I don't need them because I'm God. But if you're going to do it, you have to do it right. Okay, it's 12 o'clock. I'm going to stop. That's the Abarbanel. You have that in your sources. I'm going to go over those sources next time. Okay? All right, and if anybody has questions, you can WhatsApp questions and I'll answer them. All right, bye everybody. Bye.